The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Tonight, we are continuing our series, uh, Who Are You? And we're talking about finding identity in Christ. And uh, the overarching point of this series is to get us to reflect deeply on this question. If someone were to ask you, who are you? But they said to you, when you answer, I don't want you to use your name. You see what that's going to do? That's going to force you to think, okay, what's the next thing about me I want to let somebody know, right? And uh, that's going to help reveal what is the very center of your identity. What is the most prominent element of who you are? What is the place from which all other characteristics that define you flow? And uh, we're trying to work towards that. We're trying to frame that through the scriptures and understand for the Christian, what is our identity? Turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be in verse 17. Uh, if you don't happen to have a Bible with you today, normally there's some in the pews uh, right in front of you. You can grab one of those, and uh, you'd be welcome to that. We also, if you came here today and don't have a Bible, we want to make sure everyone that wants one has one. So we have uh, copies of God's Word here that we can give you for free, and we'd be really blessed to uh, take you up on that opportunity. So turn to Philippians chapter 3. As most of you know, we celebrated uh, America's birthday yesterday. And so in doing that, uh, we remember that on July 4th, 1776, we told the Brits and their king to kick rocks and that we were going to do our own thing over here, right? That's what happened. It's pretty cool. And uh, so by that time, if you know your history, you know the conflict had kind of already begun, but we just made a point to say this is what we're doing July 4th, 1776. Um, But we went on then to defeat Britain militarily, and we became the United States of America. So that was a pretty cool deal. Um, In light of that, I've been thinking a lot about this, and in light of also the fact that we've been talking about identity in Christ, and, and I didn't even realize this, this was a kind of a subtle change, but I'm going to share it with you. I, I used to say that I was proud to be an American. I would say that sentence and not really think much about it, but the more I read the scriptures and the more I understand about reality and eternity, the more that I'm prone to say instead that I'm thankful to be an American. This flows out of an understanding that God could have put me anywhere at any time, but he chose for me to live in this time and in this place, and he's given me a mission of preaching and living out the truth of the gospel among these people. That is why I'm an American today, by God's choosing and by his sovereign hand. And so I'm thankful for that. Um, And he could have put me somewhere else, and I'd be thankful for that too, because then he would have equipped me for that mission. Uh, I'm just thankful to God for whatever he's done, because it's all good. Uh, it is a constant challenge for our affections and first allegiance to be kept where they belong. Uh, I think Matt Chandler made a helpful point when he said this. He said, the kingdom of God wasn't born on the 4th of July. You're excited about that? Good. We'll keep going. It's going to get even better. So today, we're going to study together the beautiful truth that part of our identity is children of God, right? Because we've been working through this for the last couple of weeks. I believe for the Christian, for those that have been bought with the blood of Christ, for those that identify with Christ, that primarily our first and foremost identity should be that we are children of God. And so we're looking at all the different things that flow up out of that. And so this week we're going to look at the fact that as children of God, we are also citizens of heaven. And that's a beautiful truth. 
So let's read together Philippians 3. We're going to start in verse 17, okay? It says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. I want to call to your attention, and this is going to be important to remember throughout the remainder of this sermon, that Paul's response here to the fact that there are those that have declared themselves enemies of the cross of Christ, uh, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, what was his response to that? He's weeping. And I want to remind you also that when Jesus himself looked over Jerusalem, thinking about the fact that they were rejecting him, that Jesus himself, that his response was to weep over Jerusalem. And so um, I think... That is telling in how we should look sometimes at the fact that there are those that this is describing, uh, and they have set themselves as enemies of God. That should, it should hurt us the same way it does the Father. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Here we see this stunning and profound language that describes those who belong to Jesus as citizens of heaven. Hebrews 11 expounds upon this even more when it describes uh, the imperfect heroes who trust God by faith, and he says of them that they were the following things. He says they were strangers and exiles here on earth. He said that they desired a better and heavenly country. And because of this, God was not ashamed to be called their God. If that could be said of me. And he has prepared a city for them. Right? You guys remember Hebrews 11? Abraham did this by faith. Rahab did this by faith. He goes through that list, and then he comes to this point. He says that, that all of these people, they were strangers and exiles here on earth. And they were desiring a better and heavenly country. I think it's very easy for us to settle into our current experience and forget that this life is but a vapor. It's a blip on the never-ending timeline of eternity. For those of us who are children of God, this is not home. And we should always have this sense of agitation and longing for our eternal residence. We are sojourners and aliens in this world. We are eternal beings sent into a temporal world with a mission to accomplish. As Christians, we should feel like aid workers in a foreign land, never quite fitting in, but committed to bringing hope to the hopeless and help where it's needed. But even though our stay here can seem long, we should always remember that our passport originates from a heavenly country, which is our eternal home. I think we would also do well to remember this, friends, that our passport is not stamped with blue or black ink, but with the bright red blood of Jesus, our Savior. That's the only way we're going to make the trip from here to there. Praise God for that. Though there are many implications that flow from the fact that we are citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we'll take uh, tonight just to look at a few. There's dozens, if not hundreds, of things that are true because we are citizens of heaven. We're going to look at just a few tonight, okay? The first one is that citizens of heaven are loved by our king. Uh, those of you that know me or have been around me more than five minutes know that I'm fond of referring to our Savior as King Jesus. 
Um, and through a conversation with someone recently, I was challenged to think about the fact that many people may struggle with this because of what comes to mind for them when they think of a king. Uh, the kingdom of God is in pretty much every way, upside down and inside out. Most people associate kings with power and conquest and grandeur. The problem with most kings is that these things quickly go to their heads and they become prideful and abusive to those who they rule over. Jesus has more power than any king ever. His rule extends farther than any king ever. And he is more majestic and grand than any king ever. And yet, he is a completely different kind of king altogether. Most kings expect to be served. Jesus said, I came to serve. Most kings expect the people to expend their energy and resources for the benefit of their king. Jesus gave all that he had, including himself, for the benefit of his people. When the Israelites cried out for a human king to serve them, God gave them Saul. And it didn't take long for the poison of pride to begin to infect Saul's actions. Saul was not unique in this, unfortunately. It is the sad outcome of the vast majority who obtain power, wealth, and prestige. Uh, we see this infection of pride illustrated at the Valley of Elah when Goliath the giant was bellowing his threats to the people of God and being so insolent as to curse God himself. See, a real king, Saul's the king in this moment, he's there on the battle lines, but he's back in his tent. A real king would have moved out to meet him immediately. But instead, Saul, perceiving himself too important to take the risk of fighting this enemy, cowered behind his men and offered rewards to entice them to get them to go challenge the insolent pagan. But along comes David, who with a mix of youthful naivety and holy boldness, is instantly ready to challenge this fool who would speak insults towards God. Later in his life, David would also fall prey to the notion that his kingship entitled him to disregard the needs of others. But in this moment, he displayed the heart of a true king after the image of Jesus. Here's what David says. He says, I will go up and handle this Philistine. He says, I will go. And in saying this, he is also saying, none of you need to come fight this battle. I will fight it for you. And because of God, I will be victorious. And if he is victorious, then all of the Israelites behind him are also. Right? You understand that? That was Goliath's challenge. Goliath knew he was a bad man. And so he came out front and said, let's just, let's just save trouble. I know I can whoop anybody you got. So send them. And it was going to be mano y mano, right? Man on man, whoever's left standing, the other side loses and becomes their slaves. And David, by the power of God and by the anointing of God, goes to meet that challenge. And in so doing, frees all the rest of the army from having to come out and do anything. <clears throat> Hundreds of years later, another king would come. A king that would step out in front of his people and say, I will fight this battle that you cannot. And because I am God, I will be victorious, and you will get to share in my victory. That enemy was sin and the death that it brought, and that king was Jesus. And he displayed for us what a true leader should always be willing to do, and that is lay down his life for the sake of the people he is called to lead. And this, my friends, is a beautiful picture of what love really is. 1 John 3.16 says, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us talking about Christ. It says we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
As citizens of heaven, we are loved by our king and paid for with his blood. And this truth crushes every lie that would try to tell us we are unlovable or worthless. Do you see the fact that you are loved by the king of all glory and all heaven? That every single time you are tempted to believe that you are unlovable, unloved, or worthless, that that cannot be true. I would also ask you that when it comes to assessing your worth or assessing whether or not you are lovable, whose opinion would you put stock in more? I realize that you would be tempted to think that you're the highest authority on that subject, and I would just lovingly say to you, no, you're not. The one that created you is. The one that died in your place for your sins is. The one who gave up everything in order to have you. He is more apt and more able to set a price for you. And the price was his precious blood. The price was everything that he had to give, all the way to his life being extinguished on your behalf. And so you can't be worthless today. You can't be unlovable today because you've been loved and you've been shown your worth. Amen. Our king does not, doesn't consider us to be disposable resources used to accomplish his goals, but has made his goal to have us as his children. Do you realize that the pride of power and prestige, those that get into a position that would be considered like kingship, that oftentimes what happens is the people they are called to serve by leading become for them just a set of resources to be used. This will not do, and it does not follow after the example of Christ. His goal is not to use you to accomplish some goal. Having you as his own is the goal. And he paid the price in order to get it done. For this, I'm thankful. Citizens of heaven are loved by our king. I wish we'd think about that more. I wish we'd live in light of it. The second implication of being citizens of heaven is that citizens of heaven are lawful. We have many admonishments in the scriptures to be subject to the rulers that we are under. Or said another way, in most circumstances, Christians are to be law-abiding citizens. This means that we should adhere to the laws of the land at the local, state, and federal level. So let me just give you a silly example, okay? You cannot leave here today and get out on the highway and begin to scream at the top of your lungs, I'm free in Christ. And I realize that the speed limit says 55, but I'm going 65 for Jesus. What's going to happen? You might get away with it, but eventually you'll probably get a ticket and you will deserve it. And the Lord Jesus will let you pay it, right? And you'll learn a lesson, right? Because we are given the admonishment over and over again to be subject to the rulers that God establishes, that God puts those authorities in places for a reason, and that up and until the point where those laws contradict God's law, we should obey them. Okay? So I want to make sure I'm clear about saying that. Don't go speed for Jesus because he'll laugh at you when you're paying the ticket. Okay? All right. Uh, however, we as citizens of God's kingdom are also governed by a universal law, a law that transcends time and the rise and fall of the kingdoms of men. This law is the law of love. This is the most important command. This is the law that every other law should be rooted in and built upon. And it is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I realize you might have heard that somewhere before, but I want you to think about this in, in, in relation to the fact that you are a citizen of God's kingdom and a citizen of heaven. What are the implications of this? The fact that this universal law should rule over and interpret every other law. How does, how does that affect you? How does that affect the way we live, the way we think, right? 
Uh, please don't let the fact that this highest of all commands has been said many times, let it become cliche to you. There's a reason it's the highest of all commands. And uh, it's something that we continually should have to work with and deal with ourselves as we interpret the situations of each day. The truth is that there will be times when the laws of men will contradict this higher law of love. Loving God is more than saying that you do. Everyone hear that? I want to make sure we all got that when it's important for the next premise. Loving God is more than saying that you do. Everyone okay with that? Okay. Jesus said that if you love me, you will obey my commands. And the scriptures are clear that to love people like Jesus, we will have to speak the truth even if it is not appreciated or understood to be loving. Right? Did Jesus love us when we were yet sinners? You've heard that somewhere before, right? Yes. Was his command to us to, to come to him even though we were broken and sinners? Yes. But then what? But then he begins the beautiful work of conforming us to his image. And he takes the loving time to work with us and strip away from us the things that hurt us and add to us the things that help us. More of his character, more of his wisdom, more of his loving kindness. And so I'm thankful for that. Proverbs 27.6 says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. I want to say that by and large, we don't believe this anymore. Most people truly believe that if you love me, you will just support me and any idea that pops into my precious little head. I, I, let me put this before you. If I was to come to you tomorrow and say this, <clears throat> I've got a plan. I know how I can make a bunch of money and be famous. Right off the bat, you should be worried, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> where's this going? Uh-oh, okay? So you could probably just stop me there, but let's say I'm so excited, I talk over you. You're like, hey, whoa, yo, bro, hold on a second. What did you, what did you just say? You're like, no, 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 just listen to my idea. It's so good. Just listen to my idea. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sell everything I have. I'm going to move my wife and my kids into a homeless shelter and then I'm going to take all that money to fund a one-year expedition to the Amazonian rainforest, and I'm going to capture a live unicorn. I'm going, to, I'm going to sell everything I have. I'm going to go catch a unicorn. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to ride it through downtown Cincinnati wearing all white leather like a mythical cowboy. And then I'll really be somebody. All my dreams will come true, and I will be happy. If I was to say that to you, if I came to you with some old foolish mess like that, let me just say this to you today. Please love me enough to do a couple things. First, check my temperature and make sure I've not been poisoned. Okay? I, I ate something. Something bad may have happened, right? If I got the sweat droplets on the forehead and there's, you know, check me medically first if I come to you with something like that or any other dumb idea that would contradict God's wisdom, okay? Check me for poison. And then, if that checks out okay and it's not a health issue, tell me I'm a fool, and knock me around if I need it, if I argue with you. Because what I should not do is sell everything I own and stick my wife and kids in a homeless shelter and chase some fanciful dream after, you know, the image of happiness made it in my own likeness, right? That's, and, and I realize that unicorns aren't real, okay? And so this analogy is not necessarily uh, that close to reality, but some of the things that we come and propose are as equally foolish and honestly, any time we would assume that an idea that I have that runs contradictory to God's word is a good idea, is that foolish? 
Anytime I would decide I know better than God Almighty who spoke everything into existence, God Almighty who made me and everything else, anytime I would assume that my incredible academic prowess has brought me to the place of an understanding higher than God himself, I may as well be on a unicorn expedition. It's very foolish. And I'm asking you to love me enough to say that. And I'm asking you to be wise enough to desire that somebody would love you enough to say that. Whether you're hunting unicorns or just doing whatever the heck you want to do. That would be con contrary to what God has said. Okay? Love is not an affirmation or tolerance at all cost. Love is an immovable commitment to the best for another, even at great personal cost. Do you guys track with that? That was important. Love is not affirmation or tolerance at all costs. Love is an immovable commitment to the best for another, even at great personal cost. This is illustrated best in the life and death of Christ, who spoke clearly about our need to turn from sin and trust in God, and then died in our place to make that possible. So what do we do, friends, if the law of the land contradicts the law of love? We see this exact issue in Daniel 3. I'll give you some background, and I'm going to read um, the, the second half of Daniel 3 to you. Okay, so running up to where I'm going to start reading, here's what's happening. There's a king. His name is Nebuchadnezzar. It's a cool one, isn't it? Uh, could have been a, a, you know, a bad guy in um, Star Trek. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the Babylonian king, okay? And so he gets a cool idea to build this huge golden idol, set it in a plane, and uh, he calls everybody together. He says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Anytime you guys hear these instruments playing, I want you guys to bow down and worship this golden idol I've made. Um, can you say power trip? Yes. And this is what often happens for those that uh, are, are in a position like that. Um, and so he tells everyone they're going to do that. Uh, a few guys that are there, friends of Daniel, um, they decide they're not going to do that. And so somebody notices that they're not going to do that, and they point it out to the king. And the king says, okay, bring them to me. We need to have a conversation. We're going to pick up beginning with that conversation. I'm in Daniel 3, verse 16. You can just listen if you'd like, or if you want to turn there, that's fine too. Here's, here's what he says. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver, deliver us out of your hand, O king. Right? So we see that just above this, the king had said, here's the deal, boys. I got a furnace there. It's real hot. You'll die if you go in there. I'm going to give you another shot. I'm just going to assume maybe you didn't hear the instruments the last time. I'm gracious. I'm a gracious king. And so here's your chance. We're going to do it again. And you can, you know, bow down and worship and all will be cool. And, and what do these guys say? We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Whoo, buddy. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Get this, guys. We, come on now. If we could get this right here. But even if he does not... Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Woo! Even if he does not, guess what? 
It doesn't matter what God does in this situation right here. He is so real and so true and so faithful that if he doesn't, I'll assume his purposes were somehow better served by that. And if today what happens is that I burn up in this fire as a sign of defiance to you trying to make me worship other than the one true living God, so be it. Just know it, O king. That's how it's going to go down. How do you guys think the king reacted? Not very happy. Okay. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered. I bet it was. Toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times more than it usually uh, was heated. He commanded certain valiant warriors who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes, and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew those men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire, still tied up. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. The satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their heads singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation or tongue, that speaks anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Woo! Man! <laughs> if that don't get your toe tapping and your insides all fired up, there's something wrong with you. I'll tell you that right now. Um, what, what magnifies and multiplies the coolness of this is that these guys are in exile, which is the exact same language that Hebrews uses to describe those of us who belong to Jesus but find ourselves in this world that is oftentimes counter to what God says, that oftentimes is moving in an opposite direction. We are called to almost always be swimming upstream against the current. But we see that when we do that, God is faithful to be with us. And I think our attitude has to be, no matter what the end result is, our faithfulness stays the same. That's where these guys were at. I don't know what God's going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to serve him because he's real and faithful and true. Praise God. Did they care what it cost them? Nope. All they knew is God is real and I'm going to serve him. That could mean the furnace, man. Well, then that's what it means. Praise God. I believe that this story in Daniel 3 highlights perfectly what children of God are to do 
when the laws of men contradict the law of God, which tells us to love Him and love people at all costs. I, those three guys not only loved God that day by standing strong in the midst of that incredible persecution, they loved every single person in attendance. Do you, do you see that? Because of the end result, now everybody there understood the truth. All of them before were in the darkness of lies, man. They lived in the darkness of not understanding who the real God was. When the, when the trumpets blew and everything cracked off, man, they were down worshiping the golden idol. But because of these guys loving God more than even their own selves... They were also able to love the people around them. They, they, they showed a loving display of God's power. As citizens of heaven sent into this world as gospel ambassadors, we will run into situations like this. Maybe there won't be a golden idol or a furnace, but there will be times we will have to choose whether we will love God by obeying him and whether we will love people by living out and speaking the truth with grace. The recent Supreme Court decision affirming same-sex marriage, like the one affirming abortion many decades ago, could soon put us in one of these situations. The law of the land contradicts the law of love in these instances. May we draw strength from the fact that in the vast majority of the history of God's people, this has already been the case. And throughout that history, many people have obeyed the high law of love for their good and for God's glory. I need to make it abundantly clear in case it has not been. Neither I or any of the future elders of Love City will ever stand before two people of the same gender and pretend to cut a marriage covenant between them and God. This is not possible because God is Lord over marriage covenants, and this is not something he would recognize. We will also never officiate a wedding between non-believers or a believer and a non-believer, because without the cornerstone of our redemptive covenant with God concerning our salvation, there can be no further establishing of any other covenants. I need to say this now, and I realize some of you are already upset, but I just please think with Think with me in light of what we just talked about. What I just said is not unloving. What would be unloving is to pretend that God will bless something that he has made clear in his word that he won't. That would be unloving. To not tell the truth would be unloving. And I can't do that. I'm bound by the law of love. <laughs> I am bound by it. I have, I have experienced the fruit of it. I was saved by that law. I was saved by the fact that God came and sought me when I was a wretched sinner with no hope that he loved me first, that he refused to let me just assume I was okay. I'm bound, I'm chained by that. And I can't violate it. I won't. That would be like telling someone who's dying of thirst, here, go turn on that hose spigot. You can get water out of it. Knowing full well that that spigot's disconnected and it's dry as a bone. I can't do that. I won't. Part of why Bible people are being disregarded about these things is because we have treated homosexuality as if it was somehow worse than other sexual temptations. And we have looked the other way for many others. This is no different than a heterosexual couple coming to me and saying that they're sleeping together and asking me to tell them that that's okay because after all, 
They love each other. I'm going to lovingly say in that situation the same thing I would say in the other situation. I can't do that. I can't because I will violate the law of love, which teaches in this case that if you loved God, hear me please, if you loved God, you would obey his command, right? You guys, most of you shook your head when I said loving God is more than saying so, right? Well, here's, that was at the beginning and we were all still laughing. Now, now this is where it comes down to, okay, well, how does that apply in really hard situations, right? So let's think through this. I, I can't do that because if I loved God, if you loved God, you would obey his command not to open up the wedding gift that is sex before you've entered into the covenant that makes it safe. And if you really loved the other person in the situation, you would push and encourage them towards their father God instead of pulling them away to satisfy your own lusts. This is about love. It's just not the way we think about it. If you think fornication is an act of love, then you are sadly mistaken about what love is and does. And if you're involved in it now, I would lovingly plead with you to stop because you are harming yourself and you are harming them and you are being incredibly unloving. It is unbelievable to me that our enemy, the deceiver, has been able to take what love is and twist it just enough to get people to believe that coming together and violating God's law together is somehow an expression of love. How can that be true when God himself is the ultimate author and source of love? How can that be true? How can defying him be loving in any way? How can leading someone else into defiance of the God that loves them be a loving act? It can't be. It can't be. Please, if you're doing that now, stop being unloving. And please stop flying the flag of, I'm doing this because of love. It's, it's just not true. And I'm saying that at the risk of offending you because I really love you. Stop unicorn hunting, would you? It's not going to go good for you. If you are here and upset because you don't think all this marriage stuff is a big deal, and you heard everything I just said, and you would still say something like, shouldn't people be able to love whoever they want? I would ask for the opportunity to talk with you, and here's what I'll promise you. We will never bully anybody, and we will never try to make somebody believe something they don't want to, ever. But we would appreciate the opportunity to talk about this like a family, because the Bible says that's what we are, even when we disagree. Okay, so I, I mean that, please. If, if that's where you're at, if, if you've heard what I've said, I, I, have, I have prayerfully, I've sought God's face on how to talk about this because I can't just ignore it and I need to talk about it and, and, I, I, and we're not gonna, this pulpit's not gonna become some um, you know, launch ramp for political uh, you know, gerrymandering and, and politicizing this. This is not gonna be, we're gonna talk about the gospel all the time. We're not gonna talk about this all the time. But here's the reality. Um, we do have to be equipped with the law of love and understanding of what that really means in order to engage our culture in a graceful and truthful way. That's why we're talking about this. It's not going to be all the time, but if you're in a place where you heard everything I just said and you're still upset about it and you still would say, hey, how dare you tell somebody they can't love each other? Or if that's, if that's where you're at, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not saying you're not less smart than somebody else, but, but where you're at on it, you're, you're not where we're at on it, and I want the chance to talk to you because I love you. And if we come at the end of that conversation and still don't agree, guess what? Guess how I'm going to feel about you? I'm still going to love you. 
a whole lot, okay? And so it won't change anything, but if that's where you're at, I, w- I would really appreciate the chance to talk to you, okay? Um, and you can let somebody know. You can fill out a Connect card and say, hey, here's my number. Call me. You can do it anonymously, however you want to do it. This is real serious because um, you guys all have families, right? Do, do families ever disagree about stuff? I- I've heard of that happening before. At least I've read it in a book or something that that happens. So um, sometimes they do. And, and um, families can't just walk out on each other because of that. They got to they gotta talk about it, work through it, come to a place of understanding. And that's the Bible says we're more family than, than people that are tied together through biology. The blood of Christ makes us family. And so we got to work through this if there is disagreement, okay? Praise God for that. I'm thankful it's possible because of the Holy Spirit, that that's even a reality and a potential. Thank you, Lord, for that. <clears throat> I do want to say this, that uh, the church has very little to say about what the government does in regards to tax benefits and the designations it gives to different living arrangements. This really is not our concern. Our concern is that when Jesus was asked about marriage, he pointed back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and that the Bible calls marriage a covenant that adorns and reflects the gospel. Because of these things, we would say, what God has established, let man not change. The church is not the state, and the state is not the church, and this is a good thing. If you've been holding back your amen, you can throw it in there right now. Amen. For both, for both sides, it's a good thing. We just believe the word marriage belongs to God. Civil unions or anything else the government may, may decide to do or an act is on them. This is our issue, right? That marriage is a God word. It's a Bible word. I also want to say that anger and buffoonery is not the right response to this. But broken, humble prayer is. Think about this with me for a moment. There was a time... There's been times throughout history, but there was a time even in this country that if a trusted man of God spoke to an issue, his voice was at least heavily considered. I'm not saying ultimately the man of God always was the final word, but when a a trusted man of God spoke into a situation, people at least gave him a hearing. But many who profess to follow Jesus have made that a problem. Part of the reason men and women of God are being ignored by the rest of the country is because we've become known more for hypocrisy than holiness, more for scandal than sacrifice, and more for lustfulness than love. Not only have high-profile, so-called Christian leaders been time and again in utter disgrace, but many who profess to follow Jesus have totally bought into the American dream. They have made their life about the pursuit of happiness on their terms at any cost. And I have to disagree with Mr. Jefferson. God did not give us an inalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. Hold on. I know some of you really like those founding documents. Just give me a second. God did not give us an inalienable right to the pursuit of happiness. He's wrong about that. God gave us the inalienable right to the pursuit of himself. And in that, we will find true joy and real happiness. You want to edit the declaration, Pastor Vince? If they'd let me, yeah. I'd get in there and... (laughs) Church is not the state. State is not the church, right? I highly doubt I'm getting that call. Hey, we just want to know what you thought about the Declaration of Independence. Any changes you want to make? We busted it out. We got some white out. Come on over. 
Probably not. Uh, but I do wish that last line was that God gave us an inalienable right to the pursuit of himself. And what a glorious gift that is. Because in that pursuit, I will find true joy and true happiness. Pursuing happiness on my terms is going to lead to destruction and pain every single time. I want to say this as well. We need to know this as a, as a church family and community, that absolutely every single person is welcome to attend this church. The invitation to humbly receive the loving kingship of Christ is open to every person struggling with anything. If we were to make the prerequisite for coming in the door that you are not struggling with sin, it would be empty in here immediately, including this pulpit. However, in the same way that God is leading each of us through a process of sanctification and transformation, and he's conforming us to the image of Christ, like a master sculptor, he will continue to remove all things that are harmful or useless from us. And anyone is welcome to come. Anyone is welcome to attend. But the understanding that we have is what God does with us is, is, is loves us, and in loving us, he changes us. In loving us, he deals with us. In loving, in loving us, he continually carves away from us anything that will harm us, takes away from us anything that is useless, and adds to us what is helpful, what will give us joy and peace, and what will bring him glory. I'm really thankful that he does that. You know, if you think about a sculptor working on a, on a piece, you know, there's, there's different types of sculpting, and, and, and some, any of you that have worked in the trade, you'll know that sometimes, sometimes you do a job because that job's the one that's there, and, and it'll make you some money, and it's not something that necessarily you're going to have a, a bunch of pride in at the end, it's just something that needs to get done, and so you could be a sculptor, and, and you could just make this rough bowl, and all that thing is for is, is a sealed unit that you can carry water with, it's not going to be ornate, it's not going to be a whole lot of effort, quick as possible, fire that thing, get it set so that somebody can scoop water with it. But, but, but then there might be this other commission. You know, somebody wealthy comes along and says, I want a piece to go right in the center of the foyer of my home, and I want this to be the first thing people see when they come in, and I want it to be as beautiful as you can possibly muster. And so, you know, that, that sculptor working on that bowl that's just, you know, not that big of a deal, they're, they're just going to throw that thing together. It doesn't really matter if it's perfectly symmetrical. It's just, let's, it's functional, right? But, but on that other piece... And they're going to scrape on that thing, and they're going to work on that thing, and they're going to put that thing through the ringer over and over again. And they might, they might break it down all the way and start over several times because, because they're working on something that's beautiful. They're working on something that at the end is going, to, is going to reflect the skill of that sculptor. And I know that sometimes we wish we could just be that, that, that dingy old normal bowl so that God would quit messing with us, but the problem is what he's trying to do with you is make you something beautiful. He's trying to make you something that's going to reflect him. And how much power and love he has for you. And so, yeah, it, it hurts, man. It hurts to get carved on. It hurts, to, it hurts when he pulls things out that maybe you weren't ready for. Or, and he molds you and shapes you a little bit different than you were intending. But, but he's working on you. And there's a purpose for it. And it's going to be beautiful. If we could trust that, that process would maybe not be easier, but we could have more joy in the midst of it. We find ourselves less times upset with him. He's a really good sculptor, and he knows what he's doing. He's doing something special with you. Citizens of heaven are loved by our king. We are lawful, and we are longing. Philippians 3 says that we are eagerly waiting for our Lord Jesus Christ. Are we? Philippians 3 tells us that 
for those of us that belong to Jesus, that something that should be happening in us is that we are eagerly waiting for our Lord Jesus Christ. It should affect the way we see everything. It should affect the way we spend our time and our resources and the way we view our own lives. If we are eagerly awaiting our Lord Jesus, it, it, changes, it changes the perspective of everything. Hebrews 11 says that we are desiring and longing for our better and heavenly country. There's a longing in us. There's a desperation in us. There's a sense and understanding things are not as they should be. This isn't home. One of the uh, most influential men of God in my life, he's famous for, I mean, I, I don't know a whole lot what he knows about the scriptures, more than I probably do, but all he lets on about most of the time, you'll hear it come out of his mouth. He's like, I ain't home all the time. That's all I hear him say. I'm not home yet. And uh, I'm glad he does that. It's a really good reminder for me. Because it's really easy because of how long this life seems, because the experience we have thus far is set inside this time paradigm. I didn't mean to rhyme, but I did. It's the, it's the, curse, of being a, it's the curse of being a rapper. Um, you guys wouldn't understand. I know it's, it's sometimes hard for you to relate to me, and I get it. Uh, but we're stuck in time, and we've only, we've only experienced this thing through the, the days and months and years, and so this, 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 it's so easy for us to get pulled into this this rhythm and, and believing that this, this is the whole deal, but the reality is this is but a vapor. In the time it takes you to fog a mirror with your breath and it disappears, this life is here and gone. And if we think about it like that, guys, I think if, if that ruled our thoughts, if that was the grid that we applied to what we do and how we do it, I think we would do some things different for the most part. We are longing for our better and heavenly country. I know you guys have heard this before, but I, I couldn't not say it in, in light of this. This is a quote from C.S. Lewis. He says, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I don't know about you. There are longings in me that I've not found yet can be satisfied on this earth, and I, I'm, I'm very sure they're not going to be. What does that tell me? This isn't home. I'm a sojourner. I'm an exile. I've got a passport in my pocket stamped with the blood of Christ, and I'm waiting for the day when I get to use it. Until then, I've got to figure out what he put me here for. He sent me as an ambassador into this world. I'm always going to feel disconnected and jumbled up, and there's going to be weird agitation in me because I'm not... I'm not done yet, and I'm not home. And that's, that's weird, and it can be difficult, but by the power of God, we, we walk as ambassadors of the law of love and of the kingdom of God in this world. And that is what we are. That is what we do. We, my friends, are citizens of heaven. And it is only because of Jesus, our servant king, and his selfless sacrifice that we have any hope of this ultimate longing being fulfilled. It is only because, even though we were imperfect, Jesus came. We had no chance of getting to God. Our sins separated us from the perfect God who made us, and there was no way we could make ourselves perfect again. That's, that's the real problem. God is perfect and holy. And all through the scriptures we see that God's presence is like a refining fire, and all impurity is, is burned away in his glorious presence. And that's why us, in an impure, imperfect state, cannot be in the relationship and proximity to perfect God that, that we were made for, I don't think we'd survive it. And that's a problem. 
It's a problem for us. It's really bad news. Because if I'm imperfect, that holds me away from God, and I can't fix the problem. I'm left in a pretty desperate situation. But that's where the good news comes in. King Jesus came in and solved the problem. King Jesus came in and built the bridge that I couldn't. And he's invited me to walk across it. He's come and lived a perfect life. He's come and paid the price. He died in my place for my sins. Somebody had to pay the price. I couldn't do it. Jesus did. He died in my place for my sins. And then just like he said he would, three days later, sin and death and all of its cohort was struck the death blow. They lost because Jesus rose triumphant from the grave. And just like all those Israelites on that day got to clap and shout and say, we win because David, the future king, had gone out and fought the battle for them. Jesus, our king, our loving servant, humble king, fought the fight that we would have lost, and he won it. And we get to walk up behind him and share in the victory. And I'm inviting you today, I'm pleading with you today, if you've not tasted that victory, if you've not shared in that victory, I'm inviting you to it today. It has nothing to do with you. You are not the one person that's done so much bad that God would not invite you. Today, you are welcome by the grace of God to embrace Jesus as your servant king. And he will come and he will change you. You can pray today and acknowledge to God that you're a sinner and you know you need a savior. And he will come and be that savior. He'll be your king. And he will love you. And he will work on you. He will change you and mold you. And it'll be hard. It'll be difficult. And it'll cost you a lot. But it's going to be the best possible life you could have. Praise God. Please trust in the good news of the gospel today. Please don't go one more day without Jesus. You weren't made for it. May we be a people who live in the light of the love of our King and reflect that love to the world around us. May we be a people who are law-abiding ambassadors with our highest allegiance to the law of love at whatever cost. And may we be a people who are driven forward with passion by our longing for home and a desire to share it with as many as possible. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the beautiful truth that we are citizens of heaven. That by your grace and by your love, you came and you saved us. You made us, instead of being citizens of darkness, instead of being citizens of this world alone, you made us citizens of your kingdom. You took the chains that were on our wrists that bound us to our sins and imperfection. You broke them and you shattered them. And Lord, I thank you that you are continually working on us, that you are continually showing us and exposing to us our idols, the things that we set up as as things of higher allegiance and affection than we have to you. And I thank you that you continually, in your love, you take those from us and you grind them into dust. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that by your strength and by your spirit, You give us the power to be ambassadors that walk in a way that glorifies you in the land that you've called us to be in. Lord, I thank you that we find ourselves in America today. And the only thing I can assume because of that, what I have to know because of that, is that you have placed us here. And Lord, I don't know all the reasons why. I don't know exactly what you were thinking, but I know that you've done it. And so I'm going to trust 
that that's your best plan. And I'm going to ask for your help for us to be faithful ambassadors and missionaries to this culture in this time. God, may we be loving, gracious, and truthful. And may we live lives that exemplify the fact that those three are not separate. Help us, Lord God, to live lives that show that love and truth go together, that grace and truth go together, that you can't pull them apart or else they distort one another. Help us to be faithful ambassadors, lawful ambassadors of the law of love and the ministry of reconciliation. I thank you that you've trusted us with this, the most monumental of tasks. Few of us, Lord, I go so far as to say none of us, deserve to be given this beautiful burden, this beautiful task of sharing your gospel. Lord, I still wonder often why you would trust me with something so precious, but you've seen fit to do it. And I believe you're glorified in the fact that broken vessels can carry the living water of your gospel. And I thank you, Lord, that we are a people in constant longing, that under the surface there is a a tension and an agitation that is always there because we are not home. Lord, let us not be discouraged by that. Let us be encouraged by it. Sometimes that agitation tries to overwhelm us. God, let that be an encouragement to us, that there is something different on the inside of us, that our longings cause us to desire more than what is here. Lord, that is, that is evidence <laughs> that, that the life to come, that eternity with you is everything you've promised and so much more than we can imagine. I thank you for that longing. God, I ask that it would increase in us. I ask that that longing would drive us. I ask that that longing would, would embolden us, Lord, and it would give us passion. And that that longing would not only be for us, but that it would cause us to want to share it with others. That we'd want to draw other people in to be able to see that this is not what it all is. That this world is, is broken and that you have promised to set everything right that's been made wrong by sin. Help us to bring other people in on that blessed hope. I can't imagine what it is today to look at this world and think that this is all there is. God, please equip us, please equip us to passionately and effectively let people know there's more. Thank you for giving us that opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for keeping us on that sculpting table as long as it takes. Lord, thank you for carving on us, and even when it hurts us, we thank you for that. And we welcome it because we want to look like you. We want to reflect you. We want people to see how beautiful you are because of what you're doing in us. We receive that as an act of love on your part. We appreciate it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things. We love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.